Welcome to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and my partner Bob. Bob, glad to have you again to be able to talk about the many facets of worldview, especially on this Christmas Eve day, and many will be listening to this after Christmas or subsequent to to Christmas. So we wish you a very, very blessed Christmas. Ross, I think I think it's very appropriate that we are taping this show on Christmas Eve, 2012. Uh, this past year has been just packed with all kinds of news items that are related to what's happening in the broader world around us. I mean, our last show we talked about the evil that happened in um, in Connecticut just a few days ago, and. And, and the, the, the evil that's happening in human hearts, but also the evil that seems to be at work in the world around us. And, and here in the midst of this, this backdrop of evil, we have the greatest declaration of good news in the history of the world taking place on Christmas Day. You know, God heralding the arrival of his son on the planet, God with us by angelic choirs, uh, singing before shepherds in the fields and magi being summoned from the east, not, m- people who didn't even follow the Jewish God, but who heard about his star and came uh, to the to find him, and and how his own people, even the king of the Jews, Herod, didn't recognize him, but in political assignation murdered helpless children. I mean, Ross, these themes are taking place historically, but they're also happening in the news around us every day. Yeah, we look at it from a from a micro standpoint. We can step back and look at it from a macro standpoint. Let me back up a second. Our listeners didn't hear this, but in just the seconds before we began taping this show, Bob and I usually will talk for a couple of minutes, and Bob's last words were, God help us. And I believe that is a message and a thought and a heartfelt viewpoint that we should have at any time, but especially in this time of our nation's history. I know last time we did talk about the tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut, and at the end we sort of isolated all of the different complexities of the situation that we face, and here you've already outlined a good portion of uh, things that have to come to pass and and God's the possibility of God's permitting or bringing judgment on our nation in some way. We realize that by making this statement, we're stepping out and it's a risky thing to do because people are going to be up in arms when you talk about the judgment of God upon a nation. So we lay this out and say that God will at some point, whether this is it or not, will bring judgment on the world and on this nation. And certainly we some things, see some things now that are incredibly ominous as it relates to the condition of our world. And, and what Bob laid out are some worldview issues and the fulfillment of prophecy that must take place before the return of Christ to this earth. And there's no better, no one better that I know of to discuss these things than, than Bob, who is a 
a much read and very astute biblical scholar. And I welcome the chance of discussing these things with you, Bob. We're in dangerous territory. We are, Ross. And, you know, you, you and I on our program have tried to be uh, very fair in looking at the the marketplace of ideas, the big worldview perspectives that are taking place in American culture, especially in Western civilization. We've we've talked about the, the, the worldview questions that everybody must have an answer for in their worldview. And we've talked about the fact that every one of us have a worldview. You and I have not uh, been disingenuous about the fact that we embrace a a Christian theism. Uh, it, it's it's our, our reasons for that is because we believe that Christian theism presents the best answers. There's no such thing as watertight, you know, all conclusive perspectives on worldview. But what we can come up with, I think, are what is the best perspective. And, you know, one of the things that we've tried not to do, Ross, is be Bible thumpers. You and I have often talked about how this show doesn't need to be a Sunday school lesson. And I really appreciate that. We've tried to keep it more broad stroke perspectives. But I think if there's ever been a show here on this Christmas Eve 2012, where we might want to look at a passage of scripture that talks about what's happening in a macro perspective in a world that is, I believe, increasingly coming under the judgment. I'll even use the word wrath because that's the, the term scripture uses, Ross. I think this may be a show when we can help our listeners sort of have a context for this macro perspective of the evil that's taking place in the world around us today and where we're headed. Well, it is, uh, and I think it's it's timely, it's scary. There are no pat answers to what we're talking about, but there are some very distinct things in Scripture, There's, and they tie in with very distinct things that we see in culture today. So you you can make this connection and the pieces fit pretty pretty well together. So we certainly would love to discuss some of those and see what our listeners think. Really, we need to see what Scripture says about this. Well, and the, and the classic scriptural passage that talks about God's judgment upon the world and how He brings about judgment upon a culture. You know, we can talk about American culture as being uh, a culture that may be under the judgment of God. And I realize that language is a lightning rod language, but the, it, anybody who's ever read classical literature realizes that the book of Romans, Paul's epistle to the Roman church there in the first century AD, is, is a, if, if I can use seminary language, Ross, it's the locus classicus. It's that passage that, theologians throughout the centuries have looked at to get this overview, this large worldview perspective of how God executes his progressive judgment and reveals his wrath from heaven on a people that rejected him. You know, just as a slight bit of humor in our session today, 
when Bob throws out Locus Classicus, uh, I, I always chuckle because uh, it, it seems to me like that he's using a word or two words here on a poor old country boy and it sends me to the dictionary, or at least when he first used it, it did. But I've learned that um, I, I certainly don't want to laugh at Bob when he says anything because he usually has a really good handle on what those things mean. But I'm with you, my friend. And that that is a, the, the book of Romans is a real classic and it really does define a number of the things that we need to to be viewing at this time in our in our culture and our nation's history. Well, and I think it's very appropriate, Ross, that we're talking about these things on Christmas Eve, two thousand and twelve. Maybe at the this this last moment before we could be entering one of the most volatile years in our nation's history, and who knows what's going to happen in the decades ahead. But I guess one thing I would just urge our listeners to do is to is to uh, you know find your family Bible. Most of us have got one lying around somewhere, and if if you if you need one, go go to uh, the Gideons will be glad to give you one. But go back and look at. Paul's epistle to the Romans, especially these first, those first three chapters, those great classic passages. Most of them, have, most of us have have read these in our past. But if there's ever a place in Scripture where you get this one macro perspective of worldview and how especially God is dealing with a world is in rebellion against him because that's the context of this. Man individually and mankind corporately are being admonished uh, by God himself, the creator, to get back in step with his macro plan for mankind and not stay in rebellion against him. And if, if we do stay in rebellion, there are these five broad phases of increasing judgment that God brings upon a culture. And Ross, I think we're seeing those phases taking place in American cultural life right on the newspaper stands. Well, you know, in f- first, Christmas or the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of one of the basic prophecies of the Old Testament. And so you, you move into Romans and you look at what uh, what God says in Romans uh, about the wrath against sinful humanity and then the righteous judgment. And how, how do you say righteous judgment? But it is judgment against unrighteousness when God has sent his son to be the the righteous propitiation of or the person to take the place of sinful man's sinful condition. And the thing we have to remember, and I, I really urge our listeners to, to maintain this, because th- this is a fantastic statement, that in the world according to the Scripture is both a visible and an invisible world, Ross. There is a, there's a world of men. We see historical overtones to that, where men live life on a planet in a visible realm. But uh, laid against that, parallel to that, there is an invisible, angelic kingdom that is going to also be brought increasingly under judgment as both of these kingdoms 
are in rebellion against the Creator God who set all of these things in place. We're dealing in what seems to be a very ethereal realm, but uh, God wants it to be brought down to the to the pedestrian level so that we can understand exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. And a beginning point is would be uh, the first three chapters of Romans to understand that righteous indignation that God has and the, the righteous judgment that will be brought upon the earth. And, you know, you talk about understanding, Ross, because in, in the context of these classic passages in the book of Romans, you, you have this idea that God has revealed himself. He's revealing and has revealed his plan for the cosmos. And he does this in two ways. Theologians talk about it in the form of general revelation, things that are evident about God to all men, regardless of what time they lived in history, regardless of what particular religion or tradition or culture they grew up in. So there's a general macro revelation that God says is evident to all men throughout history. But then there's also this, what theologians call a special revelation, this specific understanding that God then makes known to men as they respond to his general revelation of himself. Then God makes special revelation revelation of himself. And he does this, Ross, throughout history in two ways. And it's important that we get this. He does it through the person of the Jewish nation. He has revealed himself to the Jews back 1,500, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, depending on what particular vantage point you want to take. And then he's also revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who showed up at a time in history in fulfillment of over 300 specific prophecies that were given to the Jewish nation about their Messiah. And Jesus was the revelation of who God is and what he wants to do. And when men reject this general understanding of God, and they reject a specific understanding of God because they are biased against him. Romans then goes on to say there are these five progressive, incremental, but increasing judgments that come upon a culture. And Ross, American culture is in the fourth phase of those five Phases of judgment. It's terrifying. Every one of our listeners right now ought to be going along with us saying, oh, my goodness, what can we do to turn this back? Why don't you uh, talk about those four phases? We're in the fourth phase, uh, you said. Talk about those first three. Where are we? What's left to come after that? And uh, let's discuss those. Well, I appreciate that. You know, again, I I would refer our listeners to to go back and open the book of Romans and just read. I'm going to give you some references here, but basically, here's what happens. God has made himself known through general and special revelation to mankind throughout history. But But the book of Romans says that mankind rejects God's revelation of himself. God, that it says literally that we end up worshiping 
created things instead of the creator. So everything begins with man saying, instead of worshiping a creator God, we're going to worship a creation. You and I have talked about how naturalism has become the worldview of choice in our Western culture, which basically says materialism is all that really matters. In a sense, that's what happens. But everything starts with mankind rejecting the creator and choosing the creation or the material world as being preeminent over the creator himself. Now, what what that does is it sets in motion these five stages. Let me mention these real quick, and then we'll talk about them. The first stage is what uh, the book of Romans calls the darkening of understanding. This is in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 23. Uh, it's, It's the confusion of worldviews people begin to to wonder what in the world is going on around us. And that's the first stage. Understanding becomes dark. Men no longer have the capacity to see and understand what God's up to in the world, both in a general sense or in a very specific special revelation sense. As men continue in that darkening season and, and refuse to repent and turn back to God. The second stage of judgment or revelation of, of, of uh, wrath begins to happen. And this is in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 27. It's an increasing commitment to a sensate world. It talks about an increasing sexuality, of increasing degrees of sexuality. And Ross, you and I grew up in the 60s when the sexual revolution took place. We saw that happening, uh, where there's this uh, a continual commitment to sexual, uh, any, anything, that go, anything goes sexually. And uh, I know this is not that uh, we can't unpack a lot of the details of that, but we've seen that happen in American life really in the last 50 years, that leads to the third phase of just time of judgment. It's where uh, it's, it's, it's a time of increasing violence. Ross, that's what our last show was about, the increasing violence in our culture. Uh, Romans talks about how God gives mankind over to a depraved mind. This is in Romans 1, uh, verses 28 and 29. And then the fourth phase is a total rejection of good. It's where a culture gets to the place where it calls evil things good and good things evil. It's like suddenly values get totally turned upside down. And Ross, I believe that's where we are today. We're in that final phase. The fifth phase, and this is a very frightening phase, it's when God actually releases evil. He releases angelic evil. He opens the presence of the angelic realm and allows evil spirits, wicked, powerful spirits, to be released upon a culture, and the outcome is total destruction of a culture. Now, boy, when I hear myself say these things, I go, this is incredible. This is so fantastic. It must be something out of a nursery rhyme or a fairy tale. 
But in fact, it's right in the book of, of Romans, and we see it happening. We see it happening on the, in the front pages of our newspapers. Now, this is in the, the beginning of chapter 2, is step 5, right? It's really beginning in chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, where there's almost a, a total breakdown of yeah. all that takes place in a culture. So you have these five increasing phases, and but there's good news embedded here. And this is the great news of the book of Romans, is that as a culture repents, as they turn back to God, as they as they recognize that they have rejected him as the creator. And what happens is God can reverse this process. And I believe we've seen that happen. And we've seen it happen historically. And I believe we can see it happen in our particular culture. But it calls for repentance. It calls for a rethinking of our attitudes toward God as our creator and as our maker. Wow, this is a pretty... It's a pretty ominous thing that we read, and I'm confident that many of our readers, especially those who are believers or who've been in church for long periods of time, have read this, but probably have never seen it come to fruition or come to uh, the position that we are able to see it now, to, to, to tie in what we're seeing from a micro standpoint, what we're seeing in our culture with what this what what says in it says in scripture um, 2000 years ago and Ross here's the good news that we can hold on to is that God is still speaking God still wants to reveal himself God still wants to show his perspective on the world uh, he wants to give us the ability to understand what's going on. And, and the primary way that he does this is through the person of his son. It's interesting to me that, that at the time of the birth of Christ, there, were, there had been 1,500 years of these incredible prophetic utterances where God speaks to these men in the Old Testament, uh, David and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Malachi and Moses and, you know, Daniel, and the list is just goes on and on, these major and minor prophets. Some of them were kings in positions of great authority in the nation of Israel, but there were all these little snippets, some major, some minor, that describe and talk about the coming of Emmanuel, the coming of the Messiah. And all of these scriptures, all of these prophetic utterances were fulfilled in the life of one historical figure. Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled all of the prophetic utterances of the entire Jewish nation state and their scriptures. And the Ross... That is an incredible, amazing revelation of God, of himself and of his kingdom to mankind. But as we said earlier, mankind has chosen largely to reject that. You know, it's interesting. We see a number of things here. One is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in the birth of Christ. Number two, we see in Romans chapters 1 through 3, the stages that a society will go through, a nation, a world will go through in its degradation to get to the point where God's righteous judgment will come to pass. Uh, 
There are also some other prophecies that will be and need to be fulfilled as we move toward that Battle of Armageddon. This is probably a place where we want to reserve that for another show but or another discussion, but maybe you could touch on a couple of those things, Bob, as you... Uh, as, as you see them being fulfilled today. Well, it's interesting that you mention that because many of those prophecies, Ross, are in the final revelation, the final apocalyptic revelation that God gave to his apostle John there on the island of Patmos that we now have in the book of Revelation, this revelation of how God's going to sum up all things in the kingdom and the person of his son, Jesus. But it's interesting to me, you know, we talked about that fifth phase of judgment uh, as God opening literally uh, uh, and allowing the, the, the wicked spirits. Peter says these wicked spirits have been kept in eternal chains, reserved in judgment for the last great judgment on the earth, that God's going to, in a sense, open the prisons of the angelic realm and allow these horrific, angelic, fallen beings to have their way on the earth. And it's going to be a, ter- a terrible time. The, the Battle of Armageddon is just one of the things that will happen in that last great cataclysmic judgment. But, Ross, that's that final fifth stage of these five phases of progressive progressive judgment that God's allowing to happen. And these are horrible, horrible times. And they should terrify us. They should call us to be sober. They should call us to repentance. They should call us to cry out to God, ask Him to give us understanding about how we can live in these days in which we live today. Bob, how would you speak to someone who says, now, wait a minute, we're talking about a loving God. You keep talking about him being loving. How in the world could he bring s- such cataclysmic judgment on a people that he loves so much? What's your well, answer to that? Well, the answer to that is that he has given an answer for the problems of mankind in the person of his son. And that's what we have to keep going back to. All of these prophecies, these incredible promises that God gave in the Old Testament about a about God himself who was coming to draw mankind back into a, a right relationship with God. Jesus Christ himself is the great savior of the world. That's what the angels announced on Christmas night. Uh, Jesus has been given to us. You know, we uh, we church-going people memorized the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, as children, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so God has, has shown his love for mankind by sacrificing his own Son. But here's the terrible tragedy, that if we reject Christ— there's no salvation. There's no salvation that remains. Only a terrible, impending sense of the coming judgment of God. So a loving God has acted lovingly by sending his son to die in our place. Ross, that's the good news. But the bad news is if mankind says, we don't want the son, 
then there's no answer but this horrific, horrible, impending sense of the wrath of God that's coming on the earth. And that's the way that you bring together a loving God or the the loving nature of God with the judgmental nature of God. He, He never provided or he never allowed a difficulty to come that he did not provide an escape from. And the sinful condition that man is in after the fall, we have a choice. And that's the good news as that Bob is talking about here as it relates to the sinful condition that we have. And you know that good news is really fulfilled in in this day, in Christmas Day. Uh, so we Ross, it is indeed in this message. You know, and, and the scripture says of Christ long ago, after God spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days, he's spoken to us in the person of his son, who is the exact representation of his nature, the fullness of God in human form. And that's the good news. That's the message of Christmas. And and it's still a message of hope for a world that is increasingly getting dark, Ross, but it's a great message of hope. It is. I hate to bring this to a conclusion, but this is a great place to do so. And again, we wish for you who have listened to us, if this is the first time, welcome. If it's not the first time, if you've listened to us a number of times before, we're glad to have you back. Thank you so much for your support. Bob and I both wish a very, very Merry Christmas and a blessed New Year to everyone here. We'd ask you also if you would go to some of the other shows on Big Brains Media. Uh, there are a couple on football, one's on Auburn and one is on Alabama. Uh, a couple of very bright young ladies have a program called Eavesdrop. And our our mentor, James Spann, has one on weather and weather brains. He is one brilliant, brilliant man. There's another one called Just Talking It Up, where Janet and Crash will get into squabbles over just anything and everything and we invite you to to listen to those we're grateful to have the opportunity to join in in this new way that people are receiving information and they're not just information but uh, news as well as entertainment we're grateful to be a part of that bob thank you for being my partner my friend over all these years and look forward to being with you next week Ross, Merry Christmas to you and your family and all our listeners. And may every one of us have a very blessed new year as our worldview, which does matter, becomes more and more what the Lord wants us to be able to have as we look at these trying but exciting days in which we live. Amen. We'll see you in 2013. This has been Worldview Matters, brought to you by Big Brains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com.